One of the late attempts to thwart the rise of modernism in the church was the oath against modernism that was implemented by Pope St. Pius X. He wrote and bound the clerics and teachers in the church to the oath shortly after writing his landmark encyclical, Pascendi Dominici Gregis, which spelled out the errors of the modernists. I have that encyclical, as well as the oath against modernism, recorded for this channel if you want, as well as a live stream where I and another YouTube commentator go over the core concepts of Pascendi and modernism so you can understand it. I'll have one of those videos as the recommended one at the end of this one. This is relevant today again, not only because of the state of the church as an institution, but because Archbishop Vigano has been very busy lately. He released a written response to some questions he received about his stance on the Second Vatican Council, which is that Vatican II itself needs to be scrapped by a future pope because of its errors. At the core of the argument is modernism and the development of new ideas calling itself Catholicism. The proponents of Vatican II refer to the Church of the New Advent, the new springtime in the Church, a new Pentecost, and a bunch of other terms that seem on their face to be blasphemous, but it's everyday language employed by our betters. Vigano addresses the oath against modernism as a major driving factor of the state of the Church today and the success of the Council. The oath, which was ended by Pope Paul VI after the Council, was one means deployed to protect the deposit of the faith, as well as the mechanisms that go with the oath. Vigano's letter is a little too much to put here in its entirety for the usual reasons, but I'm going to focus on a couple portions of the letter. If you want to read the letter for yourself, I have it linked in the show notes at returntotradition.org, which I put my notes there to preserve them for all posterity. On to Vigano, who ties all this to another unnecessary and wicked change implemented by the modernists, the, lack of lakes, the land of lakes statement, which seems on the surface unrelated, but he'll show you why it is. Quote, in taking up the ideological link that I had highlighted between the Council and the Land O'Lake Statement of July 23, 1967, Mike and Robert Hickson opportunately pointed out another interesting quote-unquote coincidence. The ending on July 17, 1967, of the obligation for all clerics to swear the oath against modernism, which had been prescribed until that time. An ending that passed almost in silence by means of replacing the preceding formula, which called for the professio fide and the Jus gerandum antimodernisticum with the Nicene Creed in this brief phrase. I also firmly embrace and hold each and everything which has been set forth and declared by the Church regarding the doctrine of the faith and morals, whether by a solemnly defined judgment or by the ordinary magisterium, especially those things which have reference to the Holy Church of Christ, her sacraments, and the sacrifice of the Mass, and the primacy of the Roman Pontiff. The explanatory note of the Sacred Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith stated, Henceforth, this formula is to be used in cases in which the law prescribes the profession of faith, in place of the Tridentine formula and the oath against modernism. It should also be noted that this innovation followed the ending of the Index Librorum Prohibitorum, which took place on February 4, 1966, after Paul VI redefined the competencies and structure of the congregation on December 7, 1965, and changed the ancient name of the Holy Office to its present name, with the motu proprio Integre Servande. But, because there is no fear in love, see 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, the defense of the faith is now better served by promoting doctrine, in such a way that, while errors stand corrected and those who err are gently called back to the truth, heralds of the gospel may find new strength. Moreover, the advance of human culture, whose importance the religious field must not overlook, is that the faithful follow the directives of the church with greater adhesion and love. 
If insofar as in matters of faith and morals, it is possible to make clear to them the reasons for definitions and laws. The ending of the Iasurandum Antimodernisticum was part of a plan to dismantle the disciplinary structure of the church, precisely at the moment in which the threat of the adulteration of faith and morals by the innovators was greatest. This operation confirms the intentions of those who, in the face of the ultra-innovative attack initiated at the council, not only allowed the enemy to have freedom of action, but also deprived the hierarchy of the disciplinary means of which to guard and defend itself. And it was a desertion, a betrayal of unheard gravity, especially in those terrible years, as if in the middle of full combat the, the king ordered his men to lay their arms down before the enemy, who were just getting ready to invade the citadel. End quote. There's a lot to unpack here for context. The Land O'Lake statement was promoted by the bigwigs at Notre Dame University in the 1960s, and that functionally said that the Catholics did not need to be overseen by the Vatican and not need to adhere to the rigid rules of teaching, at least in the university context, that the universities didn't need to teach the faith that Rome had demanded until then. I plan to do a video on the Land O'Lake statement at some point, but sufficient for now is this. A ton of schools joined the statement like something like 95% of Catholic schools in North America did, with the result is that a short list of schools exist in America that do not adhere to the Land O'Lakes statement. You can find them on the Cardinal Newman list, with the rest being hotbeds for modernism. At the core was the end of the enforcement of the norms and teachings of the church at this time, both in those schools and in the parishes and dioceses around the world. This, of course, leads to public servants who are Catholic, functionally abandoning Catholicism, as well as and fully joining the ranks of Caesar. But let's let Vigano continue. He tells us that the oath was replaced by a statement of faith, promulgated by John Paul II and required for all priests to take, but it was inadequate at detailing or derailing the rise of modernism for numerous reasons. Quote, the inadequacy of the 1967 formula was also admitted by Father Umberto Betti in the doctrinal considerations which appeared in 1989 after the promulgation of the new formula of the profession of faith. This all-encompassing affirmation, if commendable for its brevity, was not immune to a twofold disadvantage, that of not clearly distinguishing the truths proposed for belief as divinely revealed from those proposed in a definitive way, even though not divinely revealed, and that of passing over in silence the teachings of the Supreme Magisterium, which do not have the connotation of the divinely revealed or the definitive proposition. It seems to understand that the solicitude of the congregation was motivated by the necessity of including in the oath of fidelity both the council itself and the magisterium that does not have the connotation of the divinely revealed or the definitive proposition, after which the lightness on the wave of the conciliar dismantling, the first formula had substantially allowed it to be understood that the content of the oath against modernism no longer had any value, and that therefore one could adhere, as effectively happened, to the heterodox doctrines of modernism. End quote. What was one effect? According to Vigano, we saw Bolshevism enter the church and fully blossom in this time. One needs to take a look around and see the fruits of that, especially in Rome now, with Francis fully allying himself with Caesar and their weird ideas that are now going to be implemented, unless something dramatically changes. He describes these years in the church and in the world, the 1960s, as a time of unprecedented change, and obviously he is right. That era we still suffer the effects from. Its impact on the culture and on the life of faith in the church is enormous. I'll remind you that the Pope of 1960 was supposed to read and release the third secret of Fatima to the world, and he did not. He didn't live to see the fruits of that decision, but Vigano goes on to describe the undermining of the church that followed due to the inadequacy of the popes in hierarchy at the time. Quote, it is obvious that the social climate of those years was the breeding ground of the upheaval, and 
equally evident that the church did not react with the firmness and determination that would have been necessary. Moreover, even on the, the part of the, of the Caesars of the world, the response was entirely ineffective. It is therefore understood that the climate of upheaval in which the heretical instances of Catholic innovationism could not fail to involve the self-styled intellectuals and theologians, both of Lando Lakes as well as of many universities throughout the world. The hierarchy, instead of asking itself about the cause of such agitations, clumsily sought merely to deplore the excesses, precisely because the cause lay in Vatican II and its protesting thrust, despite the proclamation of Paul VI. Vigano next quotes Paul VI here. After the council, the church enjoyed and still is enjoying a great and magnificent awakening, which we are the first to be pleased to recognize in favor. But the church has also suffered and still suffers from a whirlwind of ideas and facts which are certainly not according to the good spirit and do not promise that vital renewal which the council has promised and promoted. An idea of double effect has made its way into certain Catholic circles. The idea of change, which for some has replaced the idea of aggiornamento, foreshadowed by John, Pope John of venerable memory, thus attributing against the evidence and against injustice to that most faithful pastor of the church criteria that we are no longer innovate, but at times even undermining of the teaching and discipline of the church herself. End quote. The hierarchy was unable to control what had been unleashed. Most of virtually not virtually all of what you see at your typical diocesan parish on a Sunday is the result of that innovation. Communion in the hand, which was famously implemented by Cramner during the English Reformation in order explicitly in order to end belief in the real presence, is the rule in the church now, and predictably belief in the real presence has collapsed. The presence of people at the altar who cannot possibly be ordained priests is another. Lay people reading at the Mass, modern, terrible music at the Mass, and Latin almost never used in the Mass in Gregorian chant all but disappearing. The Mass is now almost indistinguishable from a Protestant Sunday service in virtually all regards, and that has a profound impact on what Catholics believe and how they live their lives. This says nothing of the presence of men like McCarrick and Pastor Jimmy Martin and Wilton Gregory and Archbishop Betchew and countless others. The ending of the oath against modernism was functionally the surrender of the institutional church to the forces of modernism, and we've been reaping the rewards of that move for over 50 years now. I could go on and on. If you want to read the letter for yourself, it is again posted in the show notes at returntotradition.org. That's the name of this channel with a .org at the end, and you'll find the show notes and be able to read it there over there. It goes over a lot that I can't say because he uses language that these, these days isn't acceptable to our lovely landlords of cyberspace. It is something to, for us to consider as we kick off this week, and I hope it inspires your prayers, especially for the church and the hierarchy. Even if you don't like them, pray for them as individuals. Maybe not their intentions, but for their souls. As always, thank you for listening. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.